You guys can have a seat, if you would. If you're note takers, you want kind of a starting point for today, here it is. Contrasting the gospel and religion, Isaiah gives us a clear picture of the gospel and what our response should be. It also contains a warning about the dangers of a cultural religious practice void of true repentance and faith. So Isaiah is going to give us a clear picture of the gospel, and he's going to show us what our response to be. And then he's going to contrast that with the culture. So we've been in a book, in this, in this book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, living 2,700, 2,800 years ago. In fact, Uzziah, who dies in the first sentence, died about 2,750 years ago. So that's, that's where we are. Right, And at this season, at this time in history, the people of God are fairly prosperous. They are doing well, but they're doing well and they're starting to ignore the fact that God got them to this place. So they're starting to settle into this belief that they're the reason they are doing well. Right, And they're following what we see is kind of a, a picture of the people displayed in their king. A once obedient king, God made prosperous, God gave him land. Uzziah actually is growing the kingdom back to its prominence like it was under David and Solomon. But as you can see in Chronicles, Uzziah's life ends with him being prideful and disobedient to God. The story of the gospel is this, it doesn't matter where you begin, it really matters where you end, right? That no matter if you have a good start or a bad start, Okay, but at the end of your life, there, there is, there is, it is all about how we finish. It's all about what God can do in us, even if we get a late start to our faith. Even if we have a bumpy middle. No matter what it looks like, what God can do in the life of every human being does not depend upon yesterday, it depends upon today. So that's the context for, you, for Isaiah chapter 1. That's, I mean, Isaiah chapter 6. So let's start in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So these are, this is, that's a marker. Isaiah is saying, listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. These are going to be the first words that Isaiah speaks in all of his book is going to be written in the next few verses. Up until now, he is just giving visions that God had given him. He is, he is beginning the story, chapter 1, as heavy and as, as deep as it was, was just an outline for the book to come. And then is pressed in further and had some heavy messages, had some lighter messages. Last week, as we looked at the vineyard, as God says, listen, I, I did all the work. I planted the vineyard. I cleared the soil. I tended the land. I gave it a hedge of protection. And I desired to grow, uh, to reap a harvest in the center. But you have just become sour and wild and no good. There's been these pushes and pulls of God saying, listen, I've done all that's necessary for you, for your faith, for your life. Now, it's, it, it's, it's up to you whether you let that take root in your life. So in the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah gets a vision, probably one of the most pronounced visions in all of the Old Testament. We get to see it again as John sees the very same thing in Revelation. We get glimpses of it throughout Scripture. And it's the year that Uzziah dies. So re, restarting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah dies, I saw the Lord sitting on a, upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So I, Isaiah gets to see this thing that many of us would desire to see. 
Now, maybe after reading this passage and hearing Isaiah's response, maybe we'll have some second thoughts. But Isaiah gets to see the throne room, literally gets to see Jesus on the throne. And we know that because Jesus will tell us that later. John will tell us that also later. And so we get some definition. Now, this happens before Jesus enters into human history. So here's what Isaiah says. I got to see God on the throne, Jesus on the throne, my Lord, Adonai, he says. He uses multiple words for God in this passage. We won't unpack all that, but he uses this language as he gets to see the throne. And it says, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Like the vast, just the vastness of this throne was so huge that he says it just fills the temple with glory emanating from the one who is on the throne. So there's two things that really are important. One is that we understand that it's Jesus on the throne. The clearest, if you want to go read this later, Revelation 4 and 5 gives you this beautiful image of who is seated on the throne. In fact, we'll quote a part of that verse in just a minute. But the timing of this is incredibly important too. Isaiah leads with that. It's the year that King Uzziah dies. As one man's reign is coming to a conclusion, what we see is an eternal king with no change. If you're a note taker, I want to write it down like this. As a prosperous earthly king's life ended in sinful pride, Isaiah sees the eternal king seated on the throne of heaven, reminding us where our hope should be in this short human existence. As one man's ark is coming to a close, as Israel is seeing their demise in front of them, as the prophets, Isaiah being among them, but others as well, are starting to cry out, listen, if we don't turn and return back to God, if we don't do something different, then God's going to lift his hand off us and the nations are going to come and they're going to devastate us. In fact, last chapter ended in words like, when this happens, you won't even be able to see the sun as the darkness will just devour you. Like as the armies ride in, the arrows and the clouds and the fire and the devastation, the destruction of your cities, you won't even be able to see the sunlight. So on the heaviness of that passage, what we're seeing is the king who had grown the nation, the king who had once been a follower, once had been a a humble man, useful by God, his life ends in pride. His life ends in disobedience. And so as we see this, it's, it's a bit of an image for the nation as well. That you can at one time be close to God. You can one, at one point have the blessings of God upon you. And you can forget where they came from and wander away. Now I'm not making any statements about Uzziah's eternal destiny. I, I'm just saying that the reality is, is God says, listen, when you press in, I cling to you. When you're obedient, when you're worshipful, when you're humble, I'll pour out blessing on you. But if you forget where it came from and you begin to think that you are the center of the universe, I'll also lift my hand off you. He's saying this and he's showing this in a king and he's saying this to a people. Verse 2, it says, above him, meaning God on the throne, Jesus on the throne, above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. Seraphim are are defined as burning ones, like literally these burning angelic beings, literally, that surround the throne, are in motion, in movement as they fly. 
They're obviously unique looking, but the idea is that there is this blazing glory around God, and within that is a group of worshipers who are, who are worshiping constantly in the, in, in, in the presence of Jesus. Verse 3 says, and, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So holy, holy, holy. You, you, you often hear this uh, likened to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't, I don't think that's exactly what the seraphim are going for. It's true. But I don't know that that's what they're aiming at when they do this. But what happens is when we see throughout Scripture, when we see repetition... What we see is, we don't see it with, with hidden meaning, we see it for emphasis. And in repetition, we see emphasis. Like when Jesus makes those, those statements in Greek that hearken back to the Old Testament of God saying, you tell them I am sent you, when God makes his statement to Moses in the desert. There's this odd language that really is a repetitive, I am, I am, is what he's saying. I know it sounds a lot like Popeye if you're old enough, right? <laughs> I get it. But Jesus uses that language so much so that the Pharisees know exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is claiming to be God. He says, I am that I am. You tell him that before Abraham was born, I am. And he uses this language that is so stark, so claiming to be God that it says the Pharisees, they pick up stones to kill him on the spot. And so there's this emphasis often used in language. It's not it's not the same as we do today, but you'll hear somebody rattle on to say, well, it's very, 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 very important, right? Or it's literally, literally two, which probably means it's not literal at all, right? Right? It's not that. This is a literary agent. This is something saying, listen, this is so important that it requires a specific language to it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Revelation, we see it this way, in Revelation 4. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You'll notice that after Jesus enters into human history, a sentence is added. Because Jesus now becomes the one who was, who is and who is to come. And so we see this repeated, this repetitious thing. And what we learn is that repetition has meaning to it. And repetition has meaning in our lives too. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Verse four, it says, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. There's a lot of Old Testament imagery here. If you, if you go back and you study the temple or the temple courts or the things that are used in temple worship, you'll see a lot of this taking place. Some of, the, some of the, the, the pictures that they would get is the smoke that fills the house or that fills the temple. That smoke was, uh, was representative of the incense that would be burning in the temples. And the incense stood for the prayers of the people. They reminded, the, reminded everyone who entered in that when we pray, it rises up to God like a fragrant offering. So as we get this window in, as we get this glimpse into this throne room, in to see Jesus seated on this throne. As we get this, we get imagery, we get glory, we get, ama we get amazement. We see that the foundations of the threshold shake as Jesus speaks. We see that there is a constant surrounding of worship 
fiery, blazing worship, something otherworldly, something present, something eternal. And in the context of a ruler who had had infamous, you know, had a ton of fame and power and money, as that ruler comes to an end, what we see is the reign of a king who has no end. The reign of a king who has no end to his power, no end to his reign, no end to his fame, no end to his glory. We see Jesus seated on the throne. Verse 5, and it says, and I, meaning Isaiah, said, woe is me. Right now, let's pause it just for a second. So remember last week, as we're reading through the passage, and we, we get this parable of a vineyard that we talked about a little bit earlier, and then there's uh, Isaiah. God gives Isaiah six woes, right? He gives them six things, six things to, to tell the people, here's where you have gone wrong. And, and a woe is simply that great pain and distress will be coming because of this. And so the woe is, this is the thing that is causing you pain and distress in your life. And so we could each probably pause, and with enough time, we could figure out what are the things in our lives that are causing pain, causing stress, causing anxiety? What are the things that we are doing that is not what God has called us to do, that we could unpack and say, these are the things, these are the woes, these are the things that, that bring things on my life that, I'm, that God doesn't want? Here's what happens as Isaiah gets a glimpse to the throne of Jesus as, as almost if like clouds or the sky or something part, and Isaiah gets to see what's really going on. As he gets that lens, the first thing he does is he's like, whoa, is, and, and this, this could be translated like, I'm going to die right here. Verse 5, he says, Isaiah says, and woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Many of us have wondered, I'm sure, I know I have, what would it be like to be able to see Jesus face to face right now? Right? How many of us have prayed, like, okay, God, I just... Your voice once, please. Just something audible. Just something, help me along in my faith. Just help me get to this next phase of the journey, this place I'm struggling, God. And I, if I could just see you. The interesting thing that everybody who sees God is like, wait, I'm going to die right now, right here, right? And I love what, sa- what he says. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. And I just imagine that if I'm standing before Jesus face to face, there's a lot of other things that I would come up with that I was doing wrong than my speech, right? Not that that's perfect. Just saying, I just figured there'd be more. I remember it was, uh, man, it's 15 plus years ago now. My wife and I went to... Um, an old concert thing, a, a big concert, four-day concert venue called Spirit West Coast. Can you guys, any, anybody? Anybody that old? No? Somebody bail me out. Just agree to say you know what it is. Thank you. All right. Wow, the back row. I don't feel any better for that. No. All right. So there was this little nobody band in this little tiny tent in the back of this place you had to walk for what seemed like ever to get to. And my wife and her friend had been already there for a day and a half, and me and the friend's husband, we drove up to see this. It was before they were married, but same idea. Anyhow, we drove up together because we had jobs. And so 
right? And so we get up there and literally we pull in, we're exhausted. We've been in traffic on a Friday going from Southern California to Northern California. And we get there and they're like, there's this band you have got to see. They're their little nobody podunk band in this little place. And we've got to leave now. And we're like, well, don't they go on like an hour and a half? Yeah, it takes forever to get back to this little tiny place, right? And we walked back in and they did this worship set in the back, which was amazing. And this little nobody, never anybody had ever heard of them. And they had this song out, and the singer was just telling this song about when his dad died. And he says, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or will in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I able, be able to speak at all? Little nobody panned. Done pretty well. Yeah. Bart Millard and Mercy Me, right? Yeah. In fact, now they have a movie about this song. Yeah. A lot of us have asked, like, what might it be like to stand before God? Here's what I can tell you. Isaiah's first response is, I'm going to die. Right here, right now, because what I just saw was truth. What I just saw was holy. I don't mean I saw truth like in the relative, what may be true for you is not true for me, culture today. I mean like the absolute truth, there's nothing else. Like he saw ultimate holiness, no sin, no nothing. He saw Jesus on the throne. And the first thing that it prompts him to do is just confess his sin. Woe is me, like I'm bringing pain and anguish on myself. And then he says this, he says, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. As you press deeper and deeper into the story of Isaiah and the culture of Isaiah, here's what he's saying. Because I profess one thing with my mouth, but I live a different way. Because we proclaim to worship God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. And so as Isaiah gets this image, his natural response is, I could die being in the presence of Jesus. So the response, the response to seeing Jesus in all his holiness will always be confession. In this body will always be confession. True holiness revealed makes us aware of the sin we harbor inside of us. To see Jesus is to see everything right. And then to stand before him is to understand everything that is wrong inside of us. I love that Isaiah doesn't say, see those people down the street, right? starts here. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here's what I love about this passage. And, and if, you, if you like the opening three chapters of Revelation where you see this image of a glorified Jesus, it's very image-driven, uh, like his speech is like a sword coming out of his mouth speaking about the truth that cuts, right? If you read that and then you read the, seven, the letter to the seven churches and the way he speaks to those churches, here's what happens. Whatever the church is struggling with, it's that part of Jesus that he pours out of himself to them, Right? Here's what happens. Isaiah says, listen, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. So Jesus doesn't go and heal his feet. Right? Good. I'm glad you caught that. Okay, good. He goes and he touches his lips. Like he takes a burning coal from the altar, the seraphim that are sinless, that are in the presence of God all the time, worshiping God, can't even touch it. 
And he goes and he takes it with the tongs and he goes and he touches Isaiah's lips and instead of it hurting Isaiah, it cleanses him. See, Jesus is the God in that moment we need. Not some irrelevant random thing that does something else, but Jesus is the one we need in that moment. And he goes and he touches Isaiah. See, the gospel, so often we, we see the gospel in, in light of eternity, maybe, in light of something that takes place later, but the gospel is that God has come to reconcile us to himself, and in, in so, redeeming us and healing us and, and transforming us and making us new. And just as Isaiah gets the gospel, as he sees God glorified, recognizes his own sin, responds, Jesus meets him where he's at. And Jesus begins to redeem him and heal him and transform him. The author of Revelation, John, writes this in 1 John 3. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sins. Whatever it is that brings pain and shame and guilt on us, Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is not just the opposite, but he is the one who makes it right. That he comes and meets us where we are, lips, hands, mind, heart, wherever we are. There's a coal on the altar that's shaped for that, that he would meet us where we are. Verse 8, Isaiah says, I heard a, lot, a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I love the first words that come from God. Then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. What is the response of the redeemed the forgiven, those who have been made right with God, what is their response? Hey, I want to get in the game. Like, I want to see this happen for other people. Like, the thing that I needed and you did, that place where you met me, changed me, healed me, fixed me, comforted me, cleansed me, whatever it is. Hey, I want that. I want that for everybody I know. I want that for the people I love. I want that for the broken people around me that, that are in pain and need you, Jesus. I want that. So here he goes. He says, here I am. Send me. But I love God's question. So, Isaiah, the only one here, I got something I need done. Who should I send? Right? Isaiah's like, oh, I'm the only one here. I should do this. Right? It's the natural response. Like, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I remember being asked a question a long time ago that prompted me to get into ministry. Like, if you had all the time and the money in the world, which I don't, but it's a setup question, by the way. What would you do with your life? And I thought, man, the Bible has changed me so much. I'd want to share it with other people. And you told me it was going to look like this. I might have answered differently, by the way. I might have said something like, well, I'd like to be a millionaire. It gives a lot of money away or something. Anything else, right? <laughs> but it's a setup of a question because then you will, why aren't you doing it now? Like, if that's the thing you want to do, why aren't you doing it? Fast forward, and here we are. Like, this, this changes lives. Not me, God's word. So whom shall I go and who will, or whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Verse 9. And he said, go and say to my people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eye, blind their eyes. And lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <clears throat> Isaiah 6 is taught a lot. Right? Have you guys heard Isaiah 6 before, maybe? Yeah, a little bit? There's this glimpse into heaven 
There's this, there's this beauty of God, and there's this beauty of redemption, and there's this amazing sending. And so this passage tends to be taught quite a bit, and they start at verse 1, and they end at verse 8. Why? Because 9 and 10 are really rough, right? <laughs> Guess what, though? Want to know what is more often quoted in the New Testament? Verse 9 and verse 10. Jesus quotes it, Paul quotes it, John quotes it, like over and over and over again. Verse 9 and verse 10 are quoted, right? This is a warning. So now God is giving a message to Isaiah. Isaiah is to go and take this message to other people. So Isaiah's had this moment with God. God has met him. Jesus has literally redeemed him where he, where he felt like he was so far from God. Jesus has met him there. And then God has said, okay, so... Now who, do I, now, who do I take this message and send it out? And Isaiah's like, I am your guy. I'm, I'm ready. Like, I want to take this message to other people. He says, okay, here's the message. Verse 9, and he said, go and say to this people, go to say to this people, not go say, remember, not go say to them. Go and say to this people, right? Go and say to God's people, not the culture, not the people who don't believe in Jesus, not anybody else. Go and say to the people that say they're followers of Jesus. Go and say to them, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Here's what he's saying. Keep on hearing without listening. Keep on seeing without, without learning. Right? Keep on coming to church without letting it impact you. Keep on going through the motions and just go in one side and come out the other side unchanged. Just keep doing that. He's giving them a warning. Listen, if you keep listening... But don't ever listen. You keep hearing, but don't ever listen. You keep seeing, but you don't understand. You keep going through the motions, but you never change. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 10, he says, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Repetitive hardening. When we continue to simply go through the motions of church and we hear the gospel without responding to its call, instead of this growing our faith, it actually hardens our heart. Remember when I said there's something about repetition in the beginning, that repetition has emphasis, repetition has meaning? Well, we're, we're, we're prompted to hear this in this context. We come in, same Bible, right? Same gospel, Functionally the same message with a lot of different implications, but basically the same message, the same gospel for sure, the same Jesus, the same call to respond, all those same things. So there's emphasis over and over again. And yes, what we learned today, we can dive deeper with next week or the following week or next year, but so many come in through the doors, go through the motions, and walk right back out with any impact, with little or no impact. And here's what God would say. Repetition has meaning. Repetition has emphasis. You either let it soften you, or I'm going to allow it to harden you. We have a choice every time we come in here. I have a choice every time I sit down to figure this out. I can either say, okay, this is something for them, or I can figure out where is this something for me. And if it's not something for me, I shouldn't be up here. It's got to start here. It's got to start in me. you got to understand how hard it is to go through these things and just go, man, I am that. Like, I'm falling short. 
God, forgive me. Forgive me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I say one thing, and then I live another way. But Jesus meets me. Jesus meets you. Jesus redeems us, heals us, transforms us, takes away the sins we've committed, the sins that have been committed against us, cleanses us from our shame, heals us, and and, and brings us back into relationship with the Father. And then he says, listen, now go and tell. Go and tell others. And here's the big warning. Every time you hear this, it does something. It softens you or it hardens you. Every time you are convicted of sin, your response does something. It softens you towards repentance or it hardens you towards pride and stubbornness. Verse 11, then I said, how long, O God? How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant. How long do I have to go out and say this? That's what he asked. How long is this warning the warning. How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. So Isaiah says, how long? Is this the warning? How, how long will you put up with us, God? How long will you allow a people to go through the motions with little or no change? How long do they get to come in the door and hear the message and ignore the message as they go home? How long, God? And Isaiah says, until the land lays waste and there are no more, and then I will reserve a tenth. I will never let this message die. I will keep a people for myself and start over. Just imagine that, if that were said to us today. Imagine if God was just to say, listen, we're saying one thing and we're living another way. Like you come in, pretend, put on a little mask, you show up, you go to church, you leave, you go home, you live a different life. And God said, listen, stop it. Well, how long, God? How long do we have to say that same message? Well, until all the people are gone but I'll keep some. Just imagine the weight of hearing that. That's Isaiah's message to two nations, Judah and Israel. And says, listen, if we don't stop this, if we don't change, here's the outcome. If we keep having this arc of when we're in trouble, of when we're in need, of when we're in pain, we are humble followers of God like Uzziah at one time was, and then God pours out his blessing and we, we grow in favor, and we grow in power, and we grow in, in whatever it is that God grows us in, and he blesses us. And then in the middle somewhere, we forget it's God who blessed us to begin with. And then we begin to go, you know what? I did this. Oh, this church, I built this church. Or, oh, that mess, or, or that thing, or this business, or this person, or this family, or this house, or whatever it might be. Oh, I did that. And we forget God did it. And our lives aren't laid out before God constantly in repentance, constantly in transparency before God and others. When we're not constantly subject to the gospel message that God calls us to, and we harden our hearts because the message continues. And that message continues to tell us, no, listen, God is a good God who loves you and wants the best for you. Return to God. 
yeah, I got this. I'm good. And that heart gets hardened. Another image from Scripture is that stiff neck. They're just turning away from God and just turning their neck. Calloused is another one for over and over, that message over and over and over again, and finally it's calloused, and you can no longer feel it. How long, O oh Lord? He says, as long as it takes. As long as it takes, I won't let this message go away. I will let people go away, but I will not let the message go away. So what do we do this? How do we take this home? I want to take three things we already read in the passage. and just These are things you can unpack in your community group. These are things you can take with you and your family, maybe around dinner tonight. You can ask these questions as you're sitting around. You can ask yourselves in your quiet time this week. The first one, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Even the most prominent and powerful things of this world will die. Right? Politicians, don't care who you like, they're all going to die. Right? Maybe soon, and this thing will turn around, I don't know. Right? <laughs> right? Whatever. Right? Like we get the news, like all of Congress died. Church prays weird prayer. Anyhow, so, all right. <laughs> and that's what gets applause. Oh, we're going to die. All right, so everything here dies, right? Jesus remains. Everything, my job, my ministry, my wife, my family, my house, my car, it all goes away, except for the Jeep. I think the Jeep will live forever. <laughs> It all goes away, except Jesus. Number two, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, from verse three. Repetition will either cause us to see God or cause us to become numb. Going through the motions, going through the motions transforms us. Either we become more like Jesus or we become hard-hearted. Going through the motions is not okay. Going through the motions necessarily changes us. It either changes us to be like Jesus or it changes us to be less like Jesus. Here I am, send me from verse 8. The right response to seeing Jesus is a desire to serve him and be sent out by him. What is Jesus calling you to do today? About 20 of us went and saw this speaker, a guy named Daryl, two, three weeks ago. And he just asked a simple question. I won't marry you in details of the rest of it, but he just said, who's that one person? in your life, that it pains you that they don't know Jesus? Who's that person that it actually keeps you awake at night because you love them so much, because you care so deeply that they don't know Jesus? Do we all have a one? We're sent to the one. And we're sent to others. We're sent to our workplace, to our families, to whatever. Serving. We're doing a ministry fair today, right? There's little places, signs like this could be you. You could serve here. You could do this. Like there's a way that we collectively serve one another. God calls us to that. God calls us to our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. But God also intimately calls us to someone he gives us that deep burden and passion for. That one. And maybe there's more than one. It doesn't have to just be one. But that one. Who's your one? Here I am, send me. Isaiah, when he is transformed by the message of Jesus, by the, the healing, redemption of Jesus, he just says, hey, man, I want to go. I want to be a part of this thing that you're doing. I want to be a part. And I'm going to close with this passage. These are, this, is, this is in the Gospel of John. We'll put it up. John 12 says this. Though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. 
so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he had heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw, meaning Jesus, he saw him or saw his glory and spoke of him. In the Gospels, now fast forward seven, eight hundred years, and Jesus is, has entered into human history. And Jesus is amongst his disciples, and, and the disciple potentially closest to him, John, is writing this. And it's, it's on the other side of the death and resurrection, and John is reflecting on the life that Jesus lived with him, and the teachings that Jesus had given him, and the, the, the training and the, the mentoring that he had given John. And, and I can just imagine John reflecting on Old Testament passages like Isaiah and the very words of Jesus and sitting there and he's saying, okay, it, it all really makes sense now. How many times did people see Jesus heal someone and not respond? How many times did he see him feed thousands of people, care for widows and orphans? How many times did they witness that and never be changed? He says, that's because of what Isaiah said that they'll see with their eyes, but they'll never understand. They'll hear with their ears, but they will not listen. They will become calloused and hardened because when they see or when they hear, they don't respond. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray that in this, we would all, we would all see places where we don't respond. That we would see without, without, um, without exception, all of us struggle. All of us struggle to, to see you and respond to you. There's a never-ending life of just transformation in you. And that's not bad, Lord. That's not frustrating. That's, that's good. That you meet us and heal us and forgive us in places all the time. And as we, as we break things, you're there to pick them up. Lord, as we, as we do damage, you're there to fix and you call us to press into you deeper and deeper still. Jesus, will you meet us here today, wherever we are, whatever it is we struggle with. Heal us.